Okay, so welcome. Welcome, everybody. It, it's a delight to see you all. And it's uh, so much fun for me to be here with my beautiful, wonderful co-teachers. And it's a, uh, I just will say, um, it's so great, because like when we, the four of us, we come up with these ideas and what we want to teach, it just seems like it just naturally happens. Like somehow we kind of have our, all four of us have our feeling on like, what's happening in our practices? What's happening out there in the Dharma world? And it seems like it's not too difficult for us to land on a topic. So I don't know, that's just uh, part of the beauty, I guess, of maybe of our having been friends for so long, practicing together and this type of thing. So I'm Diana Clark, if you don't know already, and I just want to wish you all a really warm welcome, a really warm welcome, and I'll pass it on to Ying. Yeah, so I also want to extend my warm welcome, yeah, just like what Diana was saying, um, that the four of us have no shortage of coming up with ideas, and and we also realize even on the same topic, we seem to keep coming up with new ideas about them. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, maybe this class and you'll get some sense of that. And maybe that's part of our joy of exploring uh, these topics that uh, seem to be endless and boundless in some ways. So, yeah. So I'll pass on to, was it David or Kim? Happy to follow and again add, a, add an additional welcome. Um, yes, it's a lovely thing. I, I particularly appreciate that we continue to surprise ourselves, and I feel like that's a um, maybe something for all of us that in this in this community of practice, as we study and practice together, that um, that there are just many surprises, and uh, they they lead us onward. So, anyway, welcome. And looking forward to sharing what seems like a, yet another approach as we surprise ourselves in coming up with something new and different again. Kim. Yeah, so the it's said that the Dharma is endlessly renewable. And I feel like that's the theme that each of us is expressing. And it's uh, quite relevant, I think, for the topic that we'll be delving into because one way that the Dharma endlessly renews itself is in each of the paths that people walk to find freedom. So we'll be doing that together over the next three sessions, but also, you know, much more extended before this class for each of us during, and then what we do with it after. So I do have a question for all of you, which is that to kind of bring us together, um, maybe you could put in the chat where you're coming in from right now. Where in the physical world are you located? If you want to type that in for folks to see, I think we have the chat enabled. Atlanta, New Jersey. Iowa, El Paso, I'm not going to get all of them, but uh, look at this variety. A couple from California, Wisconsin, Washington, Philadelphia. Wow. Scotland, Portugal. See, we've got a few across the pond, as they say. So wonderful. Just get a sense of what's bringing us together today, where we're all coming in from the kind of amazing breath 
So with that, let's get going, Diana. Thank you, Kim. That was so much fun to see where people are from, right? I just, I don't know, I kind of got a thrill out of that. Uh, Thank you for that. Thank you. Okay, so this course we're calling Crafting the Path or Crafting Your Path or and what do we mean by this? And we put a subtitle, Craft, Confidence, Refuge, Aspiration, Faith, and Trust. And, you know, this is us just having a little bit of fun pulling together some of these words, you know, to make a an acronym that's actually means something like crafting, right? It's something that we kind of like create. But I also wanted to point to something in particular here with this, um, these words and this use of craft. That is this recognition that making our path our own, like we all are following like the Buddha Dharma, but there's, we're all different. So there's going to be different emphases for different of us, depending on our background, where we're from, our strengths, our skills, these types of things. But also we wanted to highlight in particular that the path or walking on the path or being on the path is more than just gaining information. It's easy to think like, wow, you know, the four of us, how many courses have we taught? I don't know, 20 or something like this. And it's easy to think like, um, oh, there's just more and more and more. Like you have to learn more and more and more. And it's true. It can be helpful to have some more information, but we'll get stuck if we think that that's all what it's about is just gaining information. And then we also wanted to talk about there's we could go the other extreme and say it's only just about devotion or it's only about um, this heartfeltness and this um, love. And that is certainly is part of the path, too. But we also need some information or thing to help us. Because it's not only like secular, we're, we're teaching like we're Buddhist teachers, we're teaching a secular way that certainly is our tone, but we we're not like insisting that everybody be dogmatic, but we also want to recognize that it's not a, a completely secular path either. So with crafting confidence, refuge, aspiration, faith, and trust, we want to point to maybe this way that's not entirely secular, not entirely devotional, and that includes parts of our hearts, you might say, other than just uh, information. Because it's, there's a way that um, heartfeltness, the being in touch with what's like happening inside and really being sensitive to what's moving us and motivating us is an integral part of this path of practice. And part of that becoming sensitive to what's happening inside of us and recognizing that there's different directions we can go is this um, letting go or softening this idea that we have to figure everything out this moment. I like to figure things out. Right. I went to school for a very long time because I like to figure things out. But this is something in practice to learn, like, no, it's not all about figuring things out. It's always that there's also this movement of allowing or just being with what's happening and allowing things to unfold, making the space, the opportunity for things to unfold instead of thinking, you know, oh, I have to figure this out and get to the bottom of it. So Crafting our path 
includes all these different elements. We need information. We need heartfeltness. We need allowing. We need a certain amount of investigation. But all these different elements coming together. And for this course, we're going to emphasize more of the confidence, refuge, aspiration, faith, and trust part. So with that, I'll hang it over, hand it over to Ying. Yeah, thank you, Diana. Um, so um, I'll be beginning the first teaching of this three-day or three-part uh, series. And um, as uh, Diana is pointing out, uh, when four of us were preparing for this class and we thought about what might be fitting for uh, or relevant um, for uh, people in the new year. And so this topic of faith uh, came forth. And then we immediately realized, well, faith, this word itself just doesn't capture <laughs> this whole territory. And so that hence the craft uh, acronym with all those different English words that uh, Diana just mentioned. And so um, maybe what is this, this is pointing to um, is um, that all of these words are uh, pointing at the multidimensional nature of this dynamic that sometimes we use the word faith or sometimes trust and confidence. We use this for but it has many different aspects to it. And so in today's teaching, I might just use the Pali term, sada, <laughs> to, um, to kind of, maybe it's because it's an ancient word. Um, none of us really know exactly what it means. <laughs> maybe leaves it open uh, for us to relate to this whole territory uh, in a different way in a more open way. And so in this um, uh, first session, I wanted to speak about the multidimensional nature of sada. We all know that the sada is a very potent force and that touches people in various ways. And today I'll speak about maybe just uh, three different ways that um, sada may uh, arise in us or may, may manifest in us. And this is not the only way to um, kind of describe the dimensionality or the richness of this dynamic, but rather as a way for us to explore maybe the a different aspect of it. Um, and the way that I'm going to speak about this is uh, to think about the sada has the dimensionality of heart, mind, and embodiment. And so I will uh, talk um, a little bit about each of this dimension today. I can say uh, the first one, a faith on the basis of heart's connection or heart's knowing that Diana was pointing to, that there is a heartfelt feeling. I remember uh, very early on, probably the first days uh, of my encounter with the Buddhism, uh, was that I met a whole group of um, Chinese Pure Land Buddhists uh, in my undergraduate school. 
And、uh, those people kind of exhibited this warmth and goodness、um, that I've never really experienced before. I knew very little Buddhism at the time, and、um, I didn't really understand、uh, the kind of teachings、uh, that much at the time. But I was really taken、um, by them in terms of、uh, the energy field that they uh, brought uh, brought forth in them, and so I had this kind of warmth in my heart. I thought, "Wow, these Buddhists are really good. <laughs> I want to hang out with them." And so that was good enough for me to begin.、Uh, Uh, my curiosity and、uh, my seeking and my exploration in this journey. So, in some sense, I can say that um, my uh, initial journey started with this、um, heartfelt connection、uh, with the Buddhism, and it kind of allowed me to begin to、um, explore and. Explore this path. I was reminded that、uh, in Pali,、um, in Pali, this word uh, "sada" uh, sometimes、uh, gets translated、uh, literally as "to place the heart upon." To place the heart upon something that feels uplifting or inspiring, and our heart can trust this. And so I felt like I can trust the goodness. Of these people, and that was enough to move us. And so that's one dimension, and that's a heart's connection. You may have that in different ways、um, in your journey of exploring this. That the heart's knowing, the heartfelt sense moves us along, or、uh, allow us to keep going、uh, when we meet challenges. And the other dimension is、uh, what I called、um, the mind's knowing, and the faith、uh, arises on the basis of a mind's knowing and mind's understanding. Many people、uh, come to Buddhism、uh, probably through listening to Dharma talks and reading Dharma books and contemplating, reflecting, or discussing with others about the teachings. And then, little by little, we began to have the sense that, oh yeah, those teachings really make sense to us.、Um, and this kind of、uh, intellectual understanding is very natural. It's a potent,、um, uh, potent dimension of a being human. And we all have that capacity to understand, to、uh, reflect, and to contemplate, to analyze. Even it, even though、um, the teachings that、um, were offered may not necessarily be our own experience just yet, but we can see what、well, this is possible by practicing what is taught, and the direction、um, points to a kind of a possibility. And so, this kind of a cognitive, logical understanding is a foundational part of a being human. And the sada、um, that's based on this dimension is also quite important. And often,、uh, the heart and mind kind of dimensions 
are intermixed and they're not so black and white separated. Um, some of you may have this experience as you explore the teachings. And I remember when I read the suttas early on, even when I didn't understand um, all the meanings of the suttas, I could feel uh, a kind of a hard connection with them. I could hold uh, some of these um, aspects of not understanding in me and trusting that this would unfold as we continue to engage with this. And so Sada can touch us at all these different levels, and we don't always know exactly how it works, but we can feel that, oh, this is actually something is working inside of us. I love that uh, on Sutta Central the other day, I was um, looking at uh, something that they talk about how to read the Sutta. And the title of that section says, Devotional and Contemplative Sutta Reading for the Faithful Disciples. <laughs> I thought, oh, <laughs> this is so amazing. You can kind of feel the totality of how we might engage uh, in exploring suttas. And then the next dimension I want to bring forth is the faith on the basis of embodiment or embodied experience. Um, there may be multiple uh, forms uh, in terms of uh, embodying faith or embodiment of a faith. Um, in um, Southeast Asian, uh, in the uh, Asian countries, or maybe just Asian countries in general, uh, devotional practices and are often very common. And that the devotional practices often gets expressed through uh, an embodied expression. For example, bowing and uh, uh, rituals, engaging in certain kind of rituals that are embodied. And uh, this form of a practice both expresses a kind of um, faith and trust and confidence, aspiration. It also cultivates sada. And so um, uh, David, I think, will be talking a little more about some aspects of this later also. And so that's one form. Another form of, um, of embodiment is that when we began to experience um, the potency or the benefits of uh, the Dharma practice for ourselves, for example, when we uh, began to feel happy um, by being generous in some way, or when we began to feel some sense of ease uh, through meditative practice, the faith can grow, sadha can grow through us experiencing this in, our, in this very being, in our own body, mind, and heart. And we can know the truth of, oh, this, this practice really has effect on us. And so this is another form of uh, maybe embodied uh, faith or trust. Sometimes it's also called verified faith. 
is we verify uh, to a certain degree the benefits of our practice and and we realize some degrees of the benefits in our own being. And then the many other forms of this as well. And so in, uh, I want to summarize by saying that uh, in this way, faith uh, or sada is quite holistic. Uh, it includes all aspect of um, being human, all aspect or all dimensions of being human. And it moves us in the direction that uh, part of us knows it's worth pursuing. Uh, even if we don't quite know exactly what it would look like <laughs> at the end of the path. But this don't know doesn't necessarily mean that the faith and the sada is kind of a blind faith. And so this is something I wanted to point out um, a little bit. That the faith um, is blind when it's based on some kind of wishful thinking or magical thinking or dogmatic beliefs or fixed views. And the kind of a faith uh, and trust that's, um, that includes all of ourselves feels rather open. But the blind faith is kind of like having a lot of blinders. <laughs> you know, like I have this perspective, it's got to fit into these boxes. And I remember um, uh, for a period of my life when I was doing uh, sutta studies in a group, and there are people who um, seem to have assumed that the suttas and commentaries have all the answers to everything. And they would spend endless time to defend everything that's in the suttas. And sometimes uh, I was wondering, oh, they really assume that uh, everything here is just right. And so sometimes we can fall into that. And that's the kind of a blinders that can trap us into limited perspectives and believing that is true. In a, a sutta that we actually studied um, some while ago, four of us taught, this is um, the Chanki Sutta, Majjhima Nikaya number 95. There is a conversation between the Brahman and, and the Buddha where the Buddha pointed out that uh, there are five things that could be accepted, um, but they turn out to be empty, hollow, and false. And these five things that can get accepted are by faith, by approval, by oral tradition, reasoned cognition, and a, reflect, a reflective acceptance of a view. But even though we accept them out of a faith, uh, they may turn out to be false if they fall into this uh, way of a wishful thinking or fixed view. And they can turn out to be false and empty, even if the teachers have all the approval of, yeah, this is right. But they can turn out to be false. And what's actually shocking in this list was, 
even and the reasoned cognition and reflective acceptance of a view could end up with being false, empty, and hollow. I think this might not be so surprising, because we all know often、uh, this kind of reasoning may be based on certain kind of assumptions, and if the assumptions are incorrect, they may end up to be false or empty. And so we'll speak about、uh, the relationship between、uh, sada and wisdom uh, in uh, future sessions.、Uh, what I wanted to end up by saying is that the cultivation of、uh, faith is not only multi-dimensional, holistic. It's also something that ever shifts and changes along the way as we continue to cultivate. A、different aspect of the Dharma teachings, and so、uh, we'll speak about all of that、uh, in the future sessions. And now, now I'm going to、uh, hand it over to my colleague,、um, Diana. Thank you, Ying. Yeah. So now I'd like to give an opportunity for you guys to talk amongst yourselves. And explore some of these、um, ideas that、uh, we've been sharing about faith, sada, and we. There's a、um, you can discuss like one of two things. One could be like, well, what inspired you to take this class now? Like maybe you saw this uh,、um, title and you thought, oh, this is interesting. Crafting one's path, confidence, refuge, aspiration. Faith and trust, and maybe there was something like faith and trust, or refuge, or confidence, or aspiration that、um, drew you to this course, to taking、uh, signing up for this, or maybe there's something that, from what、uh, Ying has said and from what you know about faith, something that feels meaningful to you about the way faith is expressed or experienced. Ying talked about it、uh, being heart, mind. And embodied. There's it's a, so、uh, it's a broad, but maybe there's one of those that particularly resonates with you now at the beginning of the course. So you can talk about maybe well, what inspired you to take this class now, or what feels meaningful to you about the way that faith is experienced or expressed in the Buddhism, the way that we're pointing to here at the beginning of the course. And because these are like two different questions. Why don't you start with just answering one, and you can choose which one. And let's do this where you go around the circle, and everybody like adds one little piece to the mosaic, maybe as if you were like making a collage or a mosaic or something. And each person adds an element, and then it goes to the next person. They add an element, and then it goes to the next person. They add an element, and then it goes to the the third person or fourth person, and then it comes back around. So that everybody has like more than one opportunity, and an element might be something like、um, this heartfeltness about、uh, the faith coming from the heart really speaks to me, even though maybe I can't quite explain it right now. And then the next person would say, 
I decided to take this class because I didn't have anything else to do on a Tuesday morning or, you know, I'm making these things up, but uh, just an element of uh, just a, an examples of kind of what effect it might be. So with each individual contributing to this mosaic, it's hopefully something beautiful that will get created by people's sharing. And to make it easier about this whole idea of going in a circle, why don't we um, go in the order of the length of your screen name, including spaces. So how many characters you have. If the longer the screen name you have, the later you will go in the circle. And then maybe I'll just say, of course, we're not going to give advice to each other. We're not going to tell people, no, it really should be this way. And nor are we going to give really long stories because we only have like about 12 minutes and three to four people. So there's not a lot of time. So just allow time for this circle to go around a number of times. Everybody can contribute to this mosaic. Okay, so here we go. Okay, so welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. I see some of you are smiling. This is a good sign. We like to see that. Hear from you, like how was uh, how was that? You could and you could talk about either. Maybe you had a new idea about what you why taking this course or um, something about faith that's meaningful. Or you could talk about what was it like to be in a breakout room and to do this thing where you make a mosaic together, going around around in a circle. So there's some other things that you um, can share. And but we'd love to hear, like, what was that like and. Were there any aha moments or head scratching moments? Like, yeah, I have to, I'm going to feel into that. Or this is a, something I hadn't considered before. Or maybe there's something like that. So if you want to raise your Zoom hand, and um, I'd love to hear how that was. And usually I'm taking this as a good sign if people don't immediately uh, do their Zoom hand. That kind of means like, yeah, I felt like I said enough in the small group. I don't need to say anymore. So it's a good sign, but we'd love to hear from you guys. Yes, I'm trying. I think you're Hoshitle or Hoshito, or I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember how to pronounce your name. Okay. Um, it's Sochi. Sochi. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed the group. And I feel like, yeah, there were several like aha moments. And I do feel like it almost was like changing as we went around. Like, uh, I think I took the class for this reason. I'm not sure. I thought I was taking something different. And then before you knew it, it was like, it started to like gel and say, yeah, you know, this is where I need to be this next three days. I'm in the right place. I took the right class. And people were coming up with really, like, just, like, wonderful things that I hadn't thought of and said, oh, wow, yeah, I'm going to, this is going to be very interesting. <laughs> I'll just say that. Nice. I love hearing this. Thank you. Thank you, Hochi, for saying that, for sharing. And there's a way in which, like, we get influenced by what we've heard before and it makes us think of, like, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I'll share this. I, I love this. Anybody else have something they'd like to share? Debbie. Well, I always want to not join a breakout. It's like my first response is, 
okay, I'll watch the numbers go down and I'll just step out for a while. And then I, I always do join a breakout. Um, and there's what I relax into now that I've done so many breakouts in the past three years for four years, that there's a safety and there's just this loving presence of all, all four of us or, or all five of us or just one of us. So it was a very safe presence. And the, they were gentle questions, complicated, but um, gentle questions for us to relax into. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. I'm happy to hear about the safety too. This is important. Yeah, yeah. And we strive for gentle questions, not uh we hopefully that you that you think a little bit, but that don't aren't painful. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Anybody else have a comment or question or something they'd like to share? Okay, we don't have to force you guys to speak. So maybe I'll hand it over to David, who will give us a little bit of a teaching here. Yeah, thank you for those comments. Thank you, uh, Diana. Um, yeah, somehow the uh, fewness of comments and what both Sochitl and Debbie shared uh, just seem very much aligned with what we what we have in mind for this class, which is very open um, as we explore. I, I came, I'm coming to think of this as a constellation of um, values, um, of um, characteristics of the Dhamma as it as it comes alive in each of our lives. And uh, so anyway, yeah, just kind of um, recognizing both of you, Debbie and Sochito, commented on sort of the openness of that uh, of the group and uh, that um, that way of of being together in this. So I appreciate that. So, like so many things in our practice, the uh, various factors that make up this craft uh, acronym, this constellation of factors. They, they're things that arise with our practice, and at the same time, we can cultivate them in our practice. And the relationship between these two modes, right, one may be more receiving uh, and one more, a little bit more energetic or active, they're, they're closely related. One of the main ways we cultivate the good things in our practice is by noticing them, by paying attention, by remembering to keep returning to them. But so turning a little bit from Ying's um, more, I don't want to say theoretical, but sort of the overview to some more practical things, we could just take a look at a few ways that we can kind of lean toward that cultivating part of the of, of bringing these aspects of confidence, faith, trust, refuge uh, into, into our aspiration, into our practices. The first the one I would notice is study and practice as we as we call these this sort of series of courses that we've engaged in and that many of you have have uh, been following and for some time now if we take a look at the chunky sutta that ying mentioned and i'll i'll note that we didn't want to share all these things uh in advance we'll, we'll share passages that we make reference to later in the course probably at the end but we didn't want to clutter things up 
But the Chunky Sutta, Majjhima Nikaya 95, Chunky, by the way, is the name of a person, not an adjective, like not the smooth sutta, uh, the smooth low sodium sutta, but Chunky was a, a person, C A N K I, Chunky. Um, but if, if we're not to uh, be misled into blind faith, which I don't know how likely that is, what might we, uh, how might we cultivate um, sort of faith in the practice, uh, knowing that this practice has brings good benefits? And you made reference to a couple of them. I'm just going to paraphrase a couple additional things that come up in Majjhima uh, Nikaya 95, the Chunky Sutta, where we have the um, Buddha responding to uh, Chunky, to, to questioners about how to find the truth of the practice that instead of just blindly following others in their spiritual practice, uh, we do things like this. Uh, we find teachers that we feel comfortable with, that we feel embody to some extent the goodness of the practice, just like Ying mentioned in her undergraduate sangha. Um, and once having done that, we give them ear. And now I'm quoting, paraphrasing from the Chunky Sutta. When we give ear to these teachers, we hear the Dhamma. And having heard the Dhamma, we take it deep within us, possibly memorizing it. We examine the meanings of the teachings that come in in this way. When we examine the teachings, we give them a provisional uh, reflective acceptance. Then when we've gained this provisional acceptance, zeal springs up. With zeal, we apply will. We scrutinize. We endeavor to go deeper into the teachings. And we practice. We meditate. We realize with the body, it says here, the supreme truth and see it by penetrating it with wisdom. So to sort of capture this paraphrase, you might say we, we, uh, there's this kind of sustained crafting that goes on, constantly returning to the sources of the teachings, the inspiration they give us with quite a critical glance, and at the same time, dropping them deeply into our practice. And I, I like this in part because it, it, it gives us a textual, <laughs> a scriptural basis for what we've actually just found we enjoy doing as four friends and sharing with you, which is bringing our study of the suttas in directly deeply into our practice. Um, one way to read what's being presented in this in the Chunky Sutta in this way, is that we, uh, there's an encouragement to take refuge in the teachings. And this, of course, taking refuge in the Dhamma is something that occurs as a, as an encouragement at many places in the, uh, in the text. And we can, um, for example, when we taught uh, Diga Nikaya 16, as the Buddha is dying, and it's unclear to his followers who, who will be the teacher, who will be the leader. The Buddha says, make, make the Dhamma your leader. Take refuge in the, in the Dhamma, in the teachings. The teachings can be the leader. Um, and here, also in, Sutta, in Samyutta Nikaya 22.43, again, we'll provide these later. The Buddha puts it in quite a lovely way that I, that I really love. Um, he says, bhikkhus, practitioners, all of us here, dwell with yourselves as an island, with yourselves as a refuge and with no other refuge. 
with the Dhamma as an island, the Dhamma as a refuge, with no other refuge. And when you dwell with yourselves and the Dhamma as a refuge in this way, um, then you can investigate from what does suffering arise? From what um, does lamentation, pain, displeasure, and despair born? How are they produced? In other words, when we take refuge in the teachings, we can go deeply into the cause of our suffering and find uh, freedom from it. So one, one sort of practical thing we can do is engage deeply with the teachings, perhaps in the study and practice mode, although there's lots of valid modes, and that we can also um, not take the refuges or find refuge, particularly in the teachings, just once as we sort of officially become Buddhists, if that's a step we've taken, but continually return to sort of feeling at home in the teachings, taking refuge in the teachings, and trusting that even when... Um, even when uh, complicated or, uh, as Diana said, even when maybe we can't figure them out, uh, to let them let them immerse ourselves in them, dwell in them, and uh, um, in that way take refuge in them. So this could be, in, in very practical terms, doing something uh, in way of taking refuge, chanting the refuges, or just recognizing as, as one engages with text that there's a refuge being taken in the teachings. There are some more explicit devotional practices that we can engage in. And Ying sort of pointed to this. It's commonly noted that um, to use big, broad generalizations, but to say in the global East, um, that there, uh, there's more attention to devotional practices in the, in the global West. Again, with whatever those terms mean, um, that there's more attention, for example, to the meditation practice. Um, there's, I think a lot of people find as their practice deepens and particularly as they kind of engage with these, the various terms that make up this acronym as people craft their own path in this way and cultivate um, faith, confidence, or find arising in their pra practice, faith, confidence, trust in the teachings. Um, that uh, sometimes devotional practices can really help um, further support that. And it's even possible that we can find ourselves sort of blocked in our practices if at some point we don't sort of approach them with a certain reverence. And uh, some of you, I think, are familiar with these, and we don't, I don't think as a group, recommend any particular thing. But I think we've each found that we find ourselves engaged in, in devotional support of our practices. And for example, just to give some specific examples, um, there are many ways to kind of create special spaces for, particularly for the meditation practice, and to support the meditation practice, stay close to the practice by creating an altar by engaging, as, as I think Ying pointed to, chanting with the use of incense, flowers, um, candles. There, there are just a hundred ways. And in this, in this particular lineage and tradition in which we broadly, would, in which we teach, um, there's no, you know, scripted way to do this. It's one of the, it's one of the ways in a way, if we want to do this, we are forced to craft our own path because we're not, 
um, we're not given sort of a structured sense of a series of rituals in which we must engage to be this kind of Buddhist. So there's a, there's a definite crafting here. I'm tempted. I don't know if I can do this. I, I hadn't planned to do this, but I'm just going to turn my camera to the right here where I keep a little Buddha on a platform where I sit. I don't know if I can bend this down, but I sit in meditation in front of the Buddha sometimes. And um, that's just one way I found that creates a special place and also a, a ritual. When I sit down, I can't help myself anymore. But when I sit down, I bow to the Buddha. I may chant the refuges. I may uh, I may repeat the precepts. Various various ways in which if I meditate outside, I, I almost invariably light incense. Um, and, uh, each of these practices, and I hadn't expected to go in here, but I have a couple extra minutes. Each of these practices I recognize really relates to the teachings. If I bring flowers in and put them in water, I, I know that they'll, um, I know that over a couple of days they'll wilt. Uh, so there's a reminder of both the beauty and the impermanence of the world, you know, on the altar as I close my eyes to meditate, as I open my eyes at the end of the meditation. Likewise with incense, you know, there's a, uh, there's the scent coming and going, wafting through the trees, the smoke rising. At any rate, there are lots of ways to sort of create um, ritual and devotional practice. And some sort of intentional leaning into that can be very supportive. And then finally, I, uh, the final thing I had sort of written down to mention and that I know a lot of people find quite um, meaningful are what we could call or what are called recollection practices, but that we to which we might also add gratitude practices. And gratitude practices, you know, turn up in a lot of different uh, wisdom traditions and spiritual practice, but they they can also be uh, kind of uh, a part of this, particularly when they take the form of the recollections, the recollections of Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, which can be carried out in num a number of ways. Um, I wanted to make reference to the way they're laid out in texts in, found in the Anguttara Nikaya, um, 11.12 and 11.13, where, just checking time, um, where they're but like for this way, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read you the a whole little passage here because there's time and because it's kind of, I, I, it's interesting. Again, surprising to find uh, texts that are less common in the suttas that uh, turn up here. And the Buddha is uh, um, encouraging followers in, in this way. He notes the faithful succeed, not the faithless. The energetic succeed, not the lazy. The mindful succeed, not the unmindful. Those with well-developed meditation practices succeed, not those without. The wise succeed, not the witless. When you're grounded in these five things, go on to develop six further things. Recollect the Buddha. Recollect the teachings. Recollect the Sangha. Recollect your own ethical conduct. Recollect generosity. And to these, the um, Anguttara Nikaya 11.13 adds, um, 
recollect your good friends, your kalyanamita, your, your, your spiritual friends, your colleagues and companions in the practice. And it says, when these are recollected, and there's numerous ways to do this, but just to give an example, recollecting in the Buddha the possibility of being walking awake in our lives, recollecting in the Dhamma the, um, the teachings and particularly the path of practice that's outlined, recollecting in the Sangha the beauty and benefit of the support of others in the practice. And I could go on. But each of these, the Buddha then says, when a noble disciple recollects these, these various things, um, when they recollect these things in recollecting them, their minds are not full of greed, hate, and delusion. Their minds are in at that time unswerving. A noble disciple whose mind is unswerving finds inspiration in the meaning and the teaching, finds joy connected with the teaching. When joy, joy arises, rapture springs up. When the mind is full of rapture, the body becomes tranquil. When the body is tranquil, bliss is felt. And when they're blissful, the mind becomes still and collected. So develop these recollections, says the Buddha. And I love this. While walking, standing, sitting, lying down, and while working, and while at home with your children. So these kinds of practices, that is the study and practice practice, the practice of taking refuge, but also returning in a regular, uh, regular form to, um, to refuge, refuge, particularly maybe taking the Dhamma, the teachings as a refuge, devotional practices that might involve an altar, um, creating rituals of your own, engaging and chanting various things that I mentioned. Um, and these recollection or gratitude practices, finding in uh, the gratefulness for having spiritual friendship, for having a community of practice like this one, for having the teachings available, um, for having always in front of us sort of the onward leading possibility of being more awake and fully awake. All of these things can be ways as we sort of begin 2024 of um, crafting a practice that has in it these aspects of faith, trust, aspiration, and refuge. So thank you. And having spoken of practice, I'll turn it to Kim now to, uh, to lead us in a guided meditation. Thank you, David. I think you've offered us a very sumptuous buffet of things to choose from for finding something to connect with. So we'll have a period of meditation now. You can find a place to sit. I'll give you a moment to find your seat. And then gently closing the eyes. And I'd like to for us to begin with something very direct and personal. So bring to mind somehow the 
the initial thing that drew you toward meditation practice, like Yang mentioned, a special feeling that she had when she went to a sangha. Maybe you read something or saw something or met a person and there was something evoked without naming that or trying to figure it out. Can you feel into that for yourself? What was that heart sense? And we're just inviting it. Maybe connecting with the breath and breathing into this feeling in the mind or part of the body. And now, gently allowing that initial feeling to expand a bit, to include maybe more of your mind. And since that initial encounter, you've now connected in with this Sati Center community. Maybe you've heard some Dharma talks or read something of the teachings and allowing your understanding to come in. What do you know about this practice and path that you know works in some way? Not being afraid to include our mind, our own understanding, Perhaps on the next breath, drawing the energy down into the body more fully. All the way down to the place where you're sitting. Your seat against the cushion or the chair. Your legs or feet against the floor. I'm really feeling the groundedness of where you're sitting.
softening into the sitting posture and sensing the uprightness of the body. Or if you're lying down, the, the straightness of the spine. Softening the shoulders, the belly. So that the natural uplift the spine can be felt almost as if the body releases upward, softening the eyes and the eye sockets. There's a certain dignity to the being when the heart is connected to the feeling we have for practice and the mind is connected to its understanding of the Dharma. And the body is placed in a meditative posture The invitation is to open to these different dimensions of heart and mind and body and allow them to harmonize in this moment. can help to place a very slight smile on the lips like the Buddha has. See if that eases the integration. Is there meaning for you in a word like integrity or sincerity at this moment?
Gently allowing the intention to move toward the heart center. Gathering in the area of the heart. Like a gathering of energy. Letting the energy move around this area as it will. the heartfeltness of our relationship to the time. Letting the breath breathe the body. Letting the energy shape the body. The sense of trust. Maybe we even feel something that we're not allowed to feel in some way. Feeling the breath in the body. Opening. What is this?
We've brought ourselves to the Dharma. Perhaps the Dharma is responding with something for us. Letting both be there. the means, the body, seeing together, being together. Being surprised. And allowing yourself to relax into any feelings of tranquility or peace or joy. As natural. Returning to the sense of the body sitting. Is there any difference in how the being feels? Having opened in this way. So, welcome back. We're aware that there um, hasn't been an opportunity yet to ask any questions about our teachings, or if there's anything that you'd like to um, share about the meditation, now is an opportunity 
for that. But there may be aspects of that meditation that are best left to compost in yourself. Don't need to feel a need to say about that. But if there are questions also about what me or David talked about, feel free to raise your Zoom hand. Sochi. Oh, thank you. Um, I would just like to say that um, I really appreciate David showing the little altar and showing us his face. It was like, I feel like every single morning I wake up, I fight with myself to meditate like it today. Come on. And then, I mean, we do this little thing every single time. I'm like, okay, you know, and then get up and meditate. But you know what? I don't have a dedicated like space like that. And I don't know why when he was showing us his faces, like little light bulb went off and I go, I bet you if I like for reals have like a little, and this is where it happens. I just like get up in the middle of my floor and, you know, open my bench and sit down. I went, I think it's going to change. Anyway, thanks for that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that, Sochitl. And I just think that uh, that's probably true for, for many of us, that having a little something special about the space we do this special thing in uh, really, really is very supportive. And um, you can take it with you, too. Many practitioners like ourselves have a little portable altar of some sort could be as small as a a little a little buddha that's one that um that you 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 can take two different rooms it's not always the case that the same space is available even in your own house but you can in a minute you can create a, a special place for the meditation practice and i'll just say one more thing which is you can very you can very easily make the meditation temporal space also special by bowing at the beginning or by when you finish meditating not jumping back up when the bell goes off if you use a timer but taking a moment to kind of recollect what where you've been what's what's come what's good the frustration that may have arised and then so you can create a, a special little space with very modest materials, and it's very supportive. Thanks. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I'll just add that it's helpful to have a few things that you do at the beginning of your sit. So maybe gratitude, a moment of metta, evocation of why you're practicing, something like that. Um, it's quite individual what's going to work for people. You don't want to make it just like a rote thing that you have to go through. But um, yeah, that helps create a space. So thank you. Um, Mariah. Hi. Um, I want to thank you guys for talking about this because in Western Buddhism, it's, um, it's been almost anathema, <laughs> you know? Um, and I've really felt for years that I was a little odd because I love to chant, I love to bow, 
And every day when I sit, I do some chanting and I chant the precepts and some of the other chants. And um, it really does help to put my heart in a place where it's a little easier for it to open. Um, it, and it feels really important to safeguard that. You know, I mean, even talking about it here is like, well, maybe that's too much, but not, I think. Um, I think it's important to kind of own it, you know, that I speak up. Because I, I love the Dharma. And it's a very nonverbal thing with me. It's always just made me really happy when you, we, in the breakout group, I couldn't explain it. It's just, it just makes me happy. <laughs> and um, many manifestations of that. But that's a big deal. So um, the devotion is important, and thank you for talking about it. Thank you for adding that. It is sometimes something that we don't say much about in this tradition. And as David pointed out, sometimes people get to a point in practice where this dimension needs to open in order for the practice to keep going. Some of you may be feeling that intuitively, and we encourage you to explore that. Okay, well, perhaps I'll pass it on to Yang then to wrap us up. Yeah, I'm just a lot, really loving uh, to hear about uh, your own reflections and experiences. <clears throat> so, as uh, we're turning to wrap up the session today, I want to offer an invitation. Um, Kind of like what David and Kim has um, have shown or pointed to, uh, maybe inviting some ways to engage in this uh, kind of practice of fasada, whether that means uh, taking refuges or chanting, or, or maybe even just set an altar in a space. Um, if you didn't have one, or if you had one, you want to do something about it, and and that kind of renew some sense of uh, energy with this. And so the invitation is uh, to open and maybe explore some new forms of the practicing, right? the practice uh, with this word sada. It's something that feels alive for you, uh, enlivening for you. I love the word that Diana said, enlivening. You can feel a certain kind of vitality um, when, when you're engaging in this way. And so, um, and try it out and uh, kind of stay connected with that and see what's the effect when you're doing that. And so this is something we can learn. Oh, wow, practicing this way has an effect on us. And so we can begin to learn to crafting our path by recognizing something that is wholesome and letting go of the things that are unwholesome. And so kind of make this a, 
a discovery uh, for yourself. <clears throat> and I'm going to also uh, let's see, put a link in the chat box. Um, let me just do that right now. <clears throat> and so, uh, some pe uh, people sometimes would ask how they can support the Sati Center and the teachers. Um, and so if you like to support them, uh, this is the link. And then so um, I just put it in, in the chat box. Um, just gonna pause and see anything else needs to be said. Anything else from my co-teachers as a closing words? Maybe I'll just say, I feel inspired. I want to like maybe explore adding even some more of these devotional elements to my practice, more than what I'm already doing. So uh, I just want to yeah. thank my co-teachers and for all of you for joining us. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. So maybe as um, part of um, maybe evoking uh, uh, something in us as we wrap up um, together, and this is session, first session, we do something often in the um, a different a Buddhist lineage it would do, which is called the ritual of dedicating merit. Um, so take a moment just to gather yourselves, uh, your heart and mind and energy in the body. Maybe just take a few moments to notice if there's any form of a goodness that's present. Something you feel in the heart, something expressed in the body, relaxation, ease, our openness in the heart, aspiration, inspirations, May whatever goodness and benefits that arise, arose out of today's gathering, may it benefit ourselves, may it expand in all directions, may the goodness and benefits bring well-being to all beings everywhere, may all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful and may all beings be free.